This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Good riddance, Anthony Fauci. Anthony Fauci is not looking for our forgiveness. As you know, he's stepping down from his post. And that's good because millions of us will never provide it. The truth is that Dr. Fauci, who had a greater hand than anyone in causing Americans to lose their jobs, years of learning, and even their lives, thanks to the social and economic upheaval he helped foist upon us during the pandemic, ought to be ashamed to show his face in polite society. Instead, the man is self-congratulatory. It's called the Fauci effect. People go to medical school now. People are interested in science, not because of me, because people, most people don't know me, who I am. My friends know me, my wife knows me, but people don't know me. It's what I symbolize. People, the craving for consistency, for integrity, for truth, and for people caring about people. Integrity. And truth, truth, that's a joke, as even he has inadvertently admitted. He lied about his views on masks, for example, first saying we didn't need them, which happened to be true, then saying we did, and that he only lied earlier to preserve them for medical workers. Meanwhile, his pals over at the CDC did a study of 90,000 school children in Georgia and found that masks do nothing. A study Fauci and the CDC then promptly ignored, later dismissing all criticism of Fauci's edicts as anti-science. Anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. In May of 2020. He admitted that the real reason he wants us all masked was, quote, I want to make them a symbol for people. Wear my symbol, serfs. Wear two of them. In fact, he later thought double masking was, quote, common sense. F you and F your kids. I am the science. Now, he says these weren't lies. It wasn't a flip flop. It was just the evolution of facts. Listen, with covid. I mean, the things that we thought we knew in the beginning turned out as the months went by to not be the case, which really forced us to adapt and to change some of our policies and recommendations. That was interpreted by many as flip-flopping or 
not really knowing what's going on when it really was the evolution of the science. What science evolved on the wearing of masks? Something you admit you knew you were lying about at the time you first publicly commented. What science evolved on the vaccination level needed to allegedly get us to herd immunity? First, Dr. Fauci said we needed to get up to around 70 percent. Then he upped it later to 80, 85. Why? Because the science evolved. That's not what he said. He said he changed the number when he thought the public would tolerate a greater percentage. Another lie that he admitted to. This wasn't the evolution of anything besides Anthony Fauci's con. He mocked the idea of natural immunity, eliminating the need for his mandatory beloved vaccines, despite admitting years earlier that natural immunity is, in fact, the gold standard. She's had the flu for 14 days. Should she get a flu shot? Well, no, if she got the flu for 14 days, she's as protected as anybody can be, because the best vaccination is to get infected yourself. And if she really has the flu, if she really has the flu, she definitely doesn't need a flu vaccine. Next, if she really has the flu, she right. should not get it again. No, she day. doesn't need it because the, it, it's the be, it's the most potent vaccination is getting infected yourself. Hmm, you don't say his unexplained reversal cost millions their livelihoods. As of October of 2021, five percent of unvaccinated adults said they had lost a job due to a vaccine mandate, according to the Kaiser Foundation. Folks like truckers who work alone and are socially distanced naturally for a living. Healthcare workers who were already infected and stood ready to help those who were hurting from COVID booted out of short-staffed hospitals. Nearly 2,000 public employees in New York City alone, where another 6,000 are still waiting for as yet ungranted exemptions. Great. Good time to cut back on police in a city rampant with crime. The military, roughly 40,000 unvaccinated National Guardsmen and 22,000 reserve soldiers cut off from their military benefits. Another 3,400 troops involuntarily separated from service for refusing to get the vaccine. Nearly 2,000 of those Marines. Okay, sure. What do we need Marines for anyway? Not all of those folks had natural immunity. Not every single one of them had COVID. But the point is, if they did, zero people connected to Anthony Fauci or his policies cared or would even consider it, thanks to Dr. Integrity. But Fauci's biggest lie was told under oath when he testified before Congress that his group at the NIH never funded gain of function research in Wuhan, China, the kind that experiments on bat coronaviruses to try to make them more lethal or more transmissible in humans. Senator Rand Paul confronted Fauci on this falsehood. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan. Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress. But all the evidence is pointing that it came from the lab, you, and there will be responsibility for those who funded the lab, including yourself. I totally This committee resent, will allow the witness to respond. I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating. No one's saying those it, viruses it is, caused it. It no is molecularly... those virus caused the pandemic. What we're alleging is that gain-of-function research was going on in that lab, and NIH funded it. That is you can't not... get away from it. It meets your definition, and you are obfuscating the truth. And you are implying that what we did was responsible for the deaths of individual. I totally resent that. that. And if anybody is lying here, Senator, it is you. 
Nice moment for the cameras. Unfortunately for Fauci, he was the one who was lying and he was caught in this lie. Thanks to the emergence of previously unseen documents unearthed by Republicans in Congress, the NIH was later forced to admit in writing in a letter to Congress that it had indeed funded gain of function research at the Wuhan lab, despite those nonsense denials by Fauci, claiming that the group to which Dr. Fauci gave the money, EcoHealth Alliance, had not been straight with the NIH about it. Oh, gambling? What? Okay, Mr. Truthful. By the way, there was never any Fauci apology for this misleading in front of members of Congress while under oath. No personal coming clean whatsoever. The NIH must have been very angry that this group, EcoHealth Alliance, partnering with a Wuhan lab, embarrassed Dr. Fauci so badly and possibly even had a role in causing the pandemic. Unclear, but possible. So angry, in fact, that it just approved more public grants, more of your money. For EcoHealth, the NIH did, with zero additional oversight or accountability. I am integrity. You feel good about it, don't you? I'm sure they'll spend it well. Mr. Integrity took the opinions of 11 or so respected virologists who came to him early on in this pandemic and said, yo, this thing looks like it came from a lab and appears to have probably pressured them into doing a 180. And we now know why the NIH had been funding this kind of lab research in Wuhan, China. These 11 scientists, most of whom make their living on NIH grants controlled by Fauci, went from saying, no way is this from an animal, to 48 hours later saying, it's racist to suggest it came from anything other than an animal. Right after their chat with Dr. Science, who later granted two of them nearly $10 million in grants. Mm, Coincidence, I'm sure. Fauci was confronted on this by Rand Paul as well. Watch. Did you communicate with the five scientists who wrote the opinion piece in Nature where they were describing, oh, this, there's no way this could that have come from, was from not the lab? me. What did I you did, talk with any of those see, scientists but privately? You keep the, you keep the story you? of the truth. It is, it did is you stunning talk, how did you, you do talk that? to any of the scientists privately yes. who wrote the opinion? You did. Well, what were they telling you privately? Well, let me explain. You know, you're going back to that original discussion when I brought together a group of people to look at every possibility with an open mind. So you, not only are you distorting it, you were completely turning it around. As were most you of the scientists do. that came to you privately, did they come to you privately and say, no way this came from the lab? Or was their initial impression, Dr. Gary and Dr. others that were involved, was their initial impression actually that it looked very suspicious for a virus you know, that came from a lab? Senator, we are here at a committee to look at a, a virus now that has killed almost 900,000 people. And the purpose of the committee was to try and get things out, how we can help to get the American public. And you keep coming back to personal attacks on me that have absolutely no relevance to reality. Hmm. How, how was it a personal attack to ask whether you did that with a virologist? Hmm? Just go to playing the victim. That's his go to. Such a chatty Kathy when trying to arm twist opinions on the origins of COVID. But Fauci's silence on other issues has been absolutely deafening, like when millions broke his stay at home rules to jam the streets elbow to elbow for the BLM protests. Hmm, nary a word. 
He also said nothing when swarms of mourners broke quarantine to pay their respects to the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg or to celebrate Joe Biden's win. Those folks you see were doing good. Those who questioned Dr. Science and his approach to the pandemic, evil. Like the doctors who put together the Great Barrington Declaration. Doctors from Stanford, Harvard, Oxford. They challenged Fauci's lockdown push. They said an approach based on focused protection in which we protect the most vulnerable, the elderly, the immunocompromised makes sense, but we let others live their lives. That's what we need. And what did Fauci do? He conspired with his boss at the NIH to smear these good doctors. Fauci and the NIH's Dr. Collins actually agreed to ensure a, quote, devastating takedown of these doctors who, unlike Fauci, actually specialize in epidemiology and vaccines. Sure enough, the compliant media did hit pieces on these doctors, making any approach other than lockdowns verboden to even discuss. The doctors have since filed a lawsuit over these smears. Senator Paul confronted Fauci about this as well. A planner who believes he is the science leads to an arrogance that justifies, in his mind, using government resources to smear and to destroy the reputations of other scientists who disagree with him. In an email exchange with Dr. Collins, you conspire, and I quote here directly from the email, to create a quick and devastating published takedown of three prominent epidemiologists from Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. Apparently, there's a lot of fringe epidemiologists at Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. Do you really think it's appropriate to use your $420,000 salary to attack scientists that disagree with you? In usual fashion, Senator, you are distorting everything about me. Did you ever object to Dr. Collins' characterization of them as friends? Did you write back to Dr. Collins and say, no, they're not friends, they're esteemed scientists, and it would be beneath me to do that? You responded to him that you would do it, and you immediately got an article in Wired, and you sent it back to him and said, hey, look, I've got him. I nailed him in Wired of all scientific publications. That's not what went on. There you go again. You just do the same thing every year. That was your response. And this wasn't wasn't the only time. So your desire to take down people. incorrect. As usual, Senator, you are incorrect. Almost everything you said. Fauci worked hand in hand with the White House to encourage censorship on the tech platforms, not just of the great Barrington doctors, but of folks like the disinformation dozen who raised questions about his precious vaccines, for example. That was just too toxic for tech. Censorship, strong arming, self-aggrandizing, bullying. That is who Dr. Fauci is. And as I said at the beginning, he's not the least bit sorry. As John Tierney, A City Journal contributing editor recently put it, lockdowns and mask mandates were the most radical experiment in the history of public health. But Anthony Fauci recently said there should have been much, much more stringent stringent restrictions early in the pandemic. Fauci is indifferent to the harm that he helped cause. Listen to what he said yesterday, speaking to Neil Cavuto. In retrospect, and doctor, did do you regret we... that it went too far? Whatever your original intentions were, and it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback here, but that it went too far, that particularly for kids uh, who, who couldn't go to school except remotely, that it's forever damaged right. them. Well, I don't think it's forever irreparably damaged anyone. Oh, my God. Really? Really? Emergency room visits fell precipitously. People weren't going, even though they were sick because of him. 
and his quarantine. Fatal heart attacks rose. Fewer people were screened for cancer. They were too afraid to go out or the cancer screening was closed. Deaths of despair went through the roof by the tens of thousands. The levels of anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts skyrocketed, not to mention what happened to our children, about whom he clearly does not give a damn. The learning loss, especially among poor kids, does he care about them? The suicidality of isolated teenagers, many of whom unfortunately succeeded in taking their own lives. The lack of language development, and social skills in kids forced to mask for the better part of two years, all because they wore his symbol. Fatal car accidents went up thanks to substance abuse spikes. Tierney goes on in his reporting, quote, nearly 40 percent of workers in low income households lost their jobs during the spring, triple the rate in high income households like Fauci's. Thanks to you, by the way, you're paying his salary. Minority-owned small businesses suffered more, too. During the spring, when it was estimated that 22% of all small businesses closed, 32% of Hispanic owners, 41% of Black owners shut down. Does Fauci care? The United States, Tierney goes on, will experience more than 1 million excess deaths during the next two decades as a result of the massive unemployment shock last year, citing a team of researchers from Johns Hopkins and Duke. No irreparable harm was done. Really, Dr. Truth? All this as a Johns Hopkins University meta-analysis of global studies found that lockdown and mask restrictions backed by that guy have had, quote, little to no effect on COVID-19 mortality. But he's not sorry. He's not sorry. No irreparable damage was done. And now, now he's looking forward to his next chapter. As of a year ago, he hoped that next chapter would include billions in funding so he could work on new vaccines. We should pray this guy never gets near another grant or health group again in his life. He has destroyed the trust in public health. His decisions have hurt countless numbers of people. He did it all while posing on magazine covers and celebrating himself and his outsized ego while our kids were muzzled and missed years of school as we all missed funerals and weddings and the chance to say goodbye to loved ones on their deathbeds. And we did indeed suffer irreparable harm, sir, whether you care to admit it or not. Good riddance, Dr. Fauci. You are not truth and you will not be missed. The University of Austin is a new university dedicated to the fearless pursuit of truth. At UATX, a culture of free, open inquiry and civil discourse helps us break through barriers instead of walking on eggshells. Students will feel at home in our downtown Austin campus. With guidance from world-class professors, they'll grapple with history's most important ideas. They'll learn through dialogue, without fear of censorship while forming friendships that last a lifetime. They'll have unparalleled access to mentors in business, science, politics, and the arts, and develop careers alongside Austin's leading entrepreneurs, builders, and founders. What's more, all students in the founding class will receive full tuition scholarships for all four years. Admissions are rolling for fall 2024. Apply to the University of Austin now at uaustin.org. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. 
and you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds, and stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. ArcSeedKits.com. Joining me now, Bethany Mandel. She's editor of the children's book series, Heroes of Liberty, and a contributing writer at Deseret News. And Carol Markowitz, who's a columnist for the New York Post. Both, like me, have been fired up about Fauci for years, in particular because of our children. Bethany, Carol, welcome back to the show. Hi, Megan. Thanks, Megan. Do I have anything wrong? <laughs> Where did I go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think you you hit most of it, um, if not all of it. I think the only thing I would maybe add to that is that he was also extremely politicized and basically an operator of the Biden administration. He actually pushed for schools to stay closed if the Biden administration like boondoggle spending bill didn't get through because he said it just wouldn't be safe without that funding. And now, of course, that funding goes unspent because there's only so much money you can spend on masks and filtration systems that really don't do anything anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. What about that, Bethany? Michael Brendan Doherty of National Review had a great line about Fauci not long ago. He said he wrote, he launders politics through science. I love that. Mm. He is. He's a he is. He's a politics launderer through science. Yeah. He has destroyed so much faith in public health. It will take a generation to re-earn it. And this is what happens when you watch your public health authorities brazenly playing politics and and wanting more to get an invite to the Met Gala than than to actually do their jobs. You know, for the first several decades of his career, we had no idea who Anthony Fauci was and we were all better for it. And when he suddenly had the opportunity to be in the spotlight, he basked in his 15 minutes for over 15 months. And we are never going to see in our lifetimes uh, a life that we can trust public health authorities in the CDC and the NIH ever again. Uh, and, and that's going to have ramifications that are both completely foreseeable and terrifyingly unforeseeable in the next few decades. The thing is, Carol, it's like I, 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 he can sweepingly say no irreparable damage, but we lived it. Right. I mean, we we yeah. I'll just spend yeah. a minute on the moms because I really think the moms are the reason that they the Democrats finally fell on the absurd mask mandates in the school and in some cases the vax mandates in school, though ours mm-hmm. still has one vax mandates right now at our schools, my boys school, they will be expelled when they turn 16 if they don't have the dumbass vaccine that they don't need because they're kids. And this vaccine doesn't prevent the spread of Omicron, which is the dominant variant. Mm -hmm. So far, we have not recognized the science. We're more in line with Dr. Integrity's view of it all. Okay, but the 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 damage that was caused to our children, the day to day suffering that he won't do us the courtesy of even nodding to is infuriating. 
Yeah, I think you should ask your your kids' school why they are, are so anti the CDC because the CDC now says, of course, that the vaccine is we should treat vaccinated and unvaccinated people the same way, which the three of us were arguing all along. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's going to do damage for a really long time. I think a lot of this is really just playing out right now. You know, we have Dr. Liana Wen, who was a, a really se severe COVID, you know, crazy person. I, I don't know if I can't think of a nicer way to say that. Covidian. Right <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but she would go on CNN and she would say really insane things like we should, um, you know, have vaccine passports for domestic travel. And now she sort of reversed herself a little bit and she's gotten um, mellower and she's getting a ton of hate from the left. But yesterday she posted that her child has a speech delay issue because of due to masking. That. And which is, you know, listen, we all knew that people were going to come around to that point of view because we know how children operate. We knew what was going to happen. But, you know, Leanna Wynn is going to get her kid help. She's going to get her kid everything that that, that kid needs. She's going to put him in speech therapy. She's going to get him all the assistance. I think about all the kids who listened to Leanna Wen the whole time that she was super for masking and are not going to get that help. And, you know, I think about all the people that I grew up with in, in Brooklyn and who just don't have those kinds of resources and don't have the, enough information to get their kids speech pathology help when, you know, this masking did so much damage to them. And I really hope that she understands that it was her who did this. It was her who, who forced this onto kids. And I wish all of them would face it and apologize. I'm glad she's coming around a little bit, but there's a, lo a long way to go. But there's no mea yeah. culpa, right? There's no mea no. culpa, Bethany, from her, from Fauci, from Walensky, from Collins, from any of them. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what, what's so, it's so infuriating about the speech language pathology and all of those things is that People like Leanna Wen and me who can pay out of pocket for therapy mm -hmm. that was unmasked and uninterrupted during COVID, which is what I did. I spent thousands of dollars on different therapies for one of my kids. And because of the guidance of people like Fauci, if not Fauci himself, kids who required this assistance who were eligible for it from a public standpoint. So you, you know, you can go to your county or your state. They're still on Zoom. They're still masked. I, I would love to see anyone try to do speech therapy with a, a three-year-old or a five-year-old on Zoom. It's just not a thing that you can do. And because of people like Fauci and everything that he advocated, kids are still suffering. You're, Megan, you talked about how your school still has a vaccine mandate. My local Jewish school still has, several of them still have vaccine mandates. So even if I wanted to send my kids to those schools, I couldn't if I wouldn't vaccinate them. And I had to pull my kids out of summer camp two weeks ago because they were mandatory masking. Not, it, it was God. in a park. It was in a county and in a park that no longer have mask mandates, but they decided that the kids and only the kids in the summer camps had a mask mandate. So I would love to see a mea culpa, but I would also love to see people like Fauci and Leanna Wen and all of these public health COVIDians step up and say, y'all, it's time to roll it back. We don't need to be living in 2020 anymore. And until these people stand up and tell these extremists to stand down, our kids are still going to be suffering. Yeah, I'll, I'll say at our school. So the my children, my boys are only 12 and nine, so they don't have to have it yet, but they can't go on field trips. Uh, they can't do certain sports. They can't do a, a bunch of things if they don't get the vaccine, even at this age, which is yeah. ridiculous. I mean, we have well, spent our summer 
right in the face of every other child in town, indoors, mm-hmm. outdoors, as has almost all of America. And now we're going to yeah. go back to school and they can't go on a field trip. Why? Because they're going to sit on a bus, the same bus that's going to take them to school in the morning with the same kids where they don't have to wear a mask, where they don't have to be vaccinated. But then when they go on the field trip bus, they can't do it. I mean, this is absurd, right? They're holding on to the they're clinging to Dr. Truth and his edicts, even as you point out, the CDC has quietly moved away from the very things. But that's that's the thing. They've quietly done so. And it's time for them to stand up and say what the the prime minister. Oh gosh, what country was it? It was Singapore. He Singapore, recently. Yeah. yeah. He recently stood up and said the masks in schools have to come off. We cannot. We cannot keep on telling people, well, it's optional, it's recommended, yada, yada. We have to be really honest about the costs of masking and the fact that it's time for this stuff to stop or they're never going to stop. The vaccine mandates are never going to go away. The on and off masking in blue areas of this country are never going to go away. And I, I know that you have listeners who live in normal America, like where Carol lives in Florida. Right, I was and where say. she lives now, where she lives <laughs> now. Right. What are she you fled New York about? for these reasons. <laughs> yeah. But in blue America, no. where I reside, this mm-hmm. is still going on. In August yep. of 2022, I had to fight to get a refund because my children on the first day of camp, they told them they had to mask. And I said, absolutely not. No, and they were no. flabbergasted that I could possibly object to them spending six hours a day inside at a music camp masked. And they said, well, the consolation is we're not requiring the vaccine. And I said, well, of course you're not, but that's not a (laughs) consolation to these people because they're lunatics and they are, they are the ones who have the thank you, Anthony Fauci lawn signs on their front lawn. I swear to you people, Mm -hmm. I live in Montgomery County, Maryland, where this man resides. They exist. I see them on my way to Trader Joe's. Oh, my God. The, the, the biggest one is posted right outside of his own house. Um, <laughs> Probably. Carol, so With a you, picture of his Vanity Fair cover on it, too. Right, exactly. Or the one where he's like a poolside. Was that the van? What, whatever style. that one that in was. Style. In style. Vanity Fair. That's absurd. But it's not about me. I don't I don't like to mm-hmm. brag. Um, the This reminds me, my friend uh, who she's one of those people. She campaigned for Joe Biden. Um, she has been so exasperated by what's happened to her children in the New York City schools, public schools, which were locked for almost two years. And the restrictions were absolutely unbearable that she's now a registered Republican. I mean, she Whoa. she went from campaigning. To now she's a registered Republican. I mean, talk about being red pilled. She's not the only one I know mm-hmm. like this. And she forwarded me this video that was absolutely heartbreaking. It's on YouTube right now. It's publicly posted. Um, Robert Livingston is the child. He is a child who was living in Harlem with his mom. And the video, it's about six or seven minutes long. It talks about how, you know, you want to keep kids out of trouble in the inner city. I mean, it's certainly in, in the five boroughs of New York, you can get into trouble if you don't have much to do. That's one of the many reasons why closing the schools was not a great idea. But closing yeah. sports programs was particularly not a good idea. And they talk in this video about how you want to keep a gun out of the hand of a kid, put a ball in those hands. Make it a baseball, make it a football, make it a basketball. But you don't just leave kids who are subjected to high crime areas um, idle with nothing to do, uh, with no school and with no uh, pastimes, none of their favorite pastimes. And this mother is very open about what happened to her kid who was no longer able to play basketball and her frustrations about the whole situation. We've cut a little clip. Watch. 
they shut down the park, they closed the parks for the kids to play, and then they took the rims off the hoops. Yeah, they the, took the um, rims the off, hoops, the, off the backwards. Which was crazy. Seventh grade happened, same thing. He was going in, but it wasn't consistent, and there was no sports at all. So when the eighth grade came, Everything opened back up. Mom, I'm getting on this team. I want to play. I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to do this. So come September, he was on it. I locked in. I was just like, I was like so locked on into this one thing. I didn't care. I, my focus was just in basketball. I don't care how cold it was. I just played, played, played. Even when I used to sneak up on him, he's on the courts playing basketball. Tryouts came. I'm excited like, yes, son, yes, son, yes. I'm rooting for him. It was me. And my other two friends, and we just we all made it, and we were so happy. It was like, bro, it's like the first time. It's like it was so cool. But meanwhile, we're listening to the news, and they telling us there may be some mandates, like a thousand feet tall, and then this vaccine was bringing him all the way down. And I really didn't want to go back to school. Even now, like listening to him is like making me tear up because I could kind of go back into that moment um, where. I saw my son like happy, mom, I got on the team, mom, I did this, mama, I'm going to the, you know, he was so excited, I did drills, I was going here, I was going there, I was on the courts, I was, like the excitement. I just shut down, like my whole body just shut down, I didn't know what to do. He couldn't play because there was a vaccine mandate to play the sports and they wouldn't let him on after two years of benching him, of not letting him practice, of removing the rims from the basketball courts and the public arena. Finally, he tries out, he makes it, getting himself back in shape, getting himself back up to snuff. And they say, not unless you stick yourself with this mandatory vaccine, which will do nothing for this kid. Yep. It will be doing nothing for him. And they, they moved to West Virginia. That's how the video ends. Right. She moved. She was forced to leave Harlem, moved to West Virginia, a freer, redder state. But this is not the choice that parents should have to make. Or, or it can make necessarily. Yeah. Right. I mean, I I would absolutely say that, like, I I think that the moving I know I know it's I know it's so hard. I mean, it's been really hard for us. I don't ever want to pretend that, like, oh, we just one day woke up and moved to another state. And that was totally easy. We left behind family that we're very close with. We, you know, a lot of transition. My kids had to switch schools twice, like just a lot. Um, And I get that that's not for everyone, but you can't trust these places anymore. I don't understand how you can live somewhere anymore that you just, you can't rely on them to deliver basic things to you like school. And so that lack of trust for me, I I just, I wake up happy every day in Florida. I really highly recommend it to you both, especially, um, you know, we, we, well, we welcome you with open arms. Um, (laughs) but it really is such a different perspective on, I'm not worried about a random masking thing or a random, you know, a vaccine mandate at, at, some after school, whatever. It just is not part of my calculation anymore at all. And it's so freeing and so wonderful. And I, I, I do continue to fight for it in places that have it, but it just, it, if you can make a move to somewhere freer and saner while your kids are young, I, I recommend it highly. Mm. It's so hard. You know, I'll tell you, we obviously moved out of New York City mm-hmm. and we looked at po- other possibilities very hard. You know, everybody's moving to Nashville, everybody's looking for to Florida. But for me, it just it wasn't going to work because my mom, Doug's mom, they're both old, older. (laughs) They need us. They're in the Northeast. All of my family, all of his family, you know, all of our friends, they're all here. We we don't. It's not worth it. You know, it's like I'd rather fight. Uh, And we did get out of the most extreme setting, which was New York City Mm -hmm. and move to a place that's a little bit more fair and balanced. Um, But 
it's not going to be like Florida. So for us, this is a compromise that made the most sense. But I don't know. Sometimes I think, Carol, and I hear these stories that maybe there's yeah. a reason. Maybe there is a reason. You know, our schools are not nuts on the social engineering stuff. That was one mm-hmm. of the things that we were fleeing in New York. But they are pretty nuts on the COVID stuff. So maybe I'm there, you know, to to give voice to the other parents who are afraid to say things. Maybe I'm there to fight the f- the fight that needs fighting. Right. Yeah, and, you are. And see where it goes. You know, I I I guess I have an insight because I am immersed in blue America like Bethany <laughs> that I wouldn't <laughs> otherwise have if I freed myself from these weird <laughs> restrictions and the horrors of Dr. Fauci's truth. Stand by, guys, yeah. gals. We're coming right back. Uh, much to discuss, including both women are fired up about this student debt forgiveness program, which is a lie. It's like Inflation Reduction Act. It's not forgiveness. Okay, it's transfer of their debt to you. Stand by for much, much more with Bethany and Carol. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Another minute on Fauci, if you don't mind. Many now are calling for an investigation of Dr. Fauci and his recommendations and how he handled this whole thing, because it was politicized. And if we believe these were good faith errors made by a faithful public servant, those calls would not be there. He's in a different category, as some of these unearthed documents prove. He's an operator behind the scene, actively working to destroy anybody who questioned him and publicly recommending policies that made no sense, but certainly served to cover up his own wrongdoing. So I, I agree there needs to be an investigation. Um, back to Michael Brendan Doherty, who I really enjoy <laughs> over at Michael uh, at National Review. He comes out and says, um, points out these two disparities between Fauci's what he actually did and what he's now saying. OK, because now he's feeling some heat, right, because it looks like Republicans are going to win the House. The polls aren't very good for the GOP right now, but I think they'll still win the House comfortably. Um, And he points out that Fauci, in an interview with the Hills, Batya Angar Sargon, he said, quote, I didn't recommend locking anything down. I have always felt and go back and look at my statements that we need to do everything we can to keep the schools open and safe. Okay, so he denies being pro lockdown and he denies being pro school closure. So Noah Rothman of commentary goes over and takes a look and pull, does the homework and finds this quote from Fauci to reporters previous quote, when it became clear that we had community spread in the country and it goes on, uh, I recommended to the president that we shut the country down. <laughs> okay. Sounds sounds like something else that rhymes with. Down. Lockdown. I was trying to find <laughs> something else, but I could only come up with an R-rated word. Not only that, but. But he urged against any school reopenings in the 2020 calendar year. Mm -hmm. So all along, he lies. He lies with impunity. He tells us not to believe our lying eyes when he gets confronted on it by people like Rand Paul. He plays the victim. And now he's saying, with respect to congressional investigations of him, he sounds like he's been invited to afternoon tea at one of our houses. I will consider it. I'll consider it. You know, only if it's oversight, because what I experienced was 
personal attacks. I will go if it's true. Fuck you, Dr. Fauci. You don't get to say whether you go. You get a congressional subpoena, you show up, or you get the Steve Bannon treatment. See how you like that. Yeah. Did we know we can curse on this show? I, I feel like yeah. I had a lot, of, a lot of curse words for him. Um, no, you, you know, yeah. you're absolutely right. And, you know, it's funny about back to politicizing and also the fact that he did not want schools to open in 2020. At the end of November 2020, when it was clear that Biden was going to become the next president, he suddenly shifted. He shifted to saying we need to close the bars, but open the schools. And that was really the first time that he um, was adamant that schools need to open. Now, of course, he wanted to shut something else for some reason because of it. Um, but it had nothing to do with, you know, it had everything to do with who was president. If Donald Trump was president, schools can't open. But now if Biden's going to be president. That's very different. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think he's just the worst of that and absolutely just, you know, needs to exit stage left. But he does need to be investigated. We need to find out what happened. We need to never repeat these mistakes again. And, I, I and you know, I, I'm a very mild-mannered, kind of even-keeled person, but we need to argue that the CDC needs to be disbanded. This organization did so much damage. They can't just continue to function. They can't say, oh, we're going to reorganize a little bit. We're going to get more funding and get more power somehow, and that will be our punishment for all that we've done wrong. But they need to be disbanded, and we need to start fresh and new. We're, we're mad, you know, at least half the country's mad about the raid at Mar-a-Lago and how that went down after the d- distrust that's been sown mm-hmm. in federal law enforcement agencies like the FBI, the DOJ. OK, so that was disturbing and, and kind of rattling in terms of its political nature. This the covid response, what these guys did killed millions of people. It was responsible for millions yeah. of death deaths and not to mention the ongoing despair that many people are suffering. It's not entirely Anthony Fauci's fault. No one's suggesting that. But he was wrong in the policies he recommended. He mocked places like Sweden, which had a much lower per capita death rate than we did. Um, And and yet all he wants now is to be celebrated. And of course, Bethany, a compliant media is only too happy to do that for him. The goodbye, the swan song, you know, musings of people in the media and top Democrats has been stomach turning. I'll just give you a few for fun. White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, I cannot think of a public servant who has done as much to save as many lives for as long a period as Dr. Tony Fauci. And he is a gem of a person. Uh, David Axelrod, over five decades, Fauci has helped save millions of lives. That and not the shameful political targeting of him for doing his job should be his legacy. Then there's Dan Rather. Dr. Fauci, thank you for your service. Please ignore the haters. The haters have very good reason, Dan, for their for their antipathy towards this guy. And maybe if you were under 200, you would understand the ire of people like us, young mothers who have little ones to look out for, who unfortunately have been well too controlled by Fauci and Walensky. And yeah. haters were right. <laughs> Go ahead. Beth. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I disagree a little bit. I, I'm afraid of a witch hunt with what he recommended and all. I think that that goes down a road that leads to what happened at Mar-a-Lago. I think that, you know, people don't like him and and, and we don't, it, it doesn't necessarily help us to focus on our, our grievances, which are just and righteous and very fiery, even two and a half years later. But I do think that there should be an investigation about his involvement in gain of function. I think where it, where it dips into the realm of, uh, of responsibility and causality and 
that is something that should be investigated because if we want to prevent another COVID-19, we have to get to the bottom of how this happened. And the lack of curiosity on the part of a very compliant media is astounding to me two and a half years later after this virus that has turned every single human being's life upside down. There is not constant and a drumbeat of questions. How did this happen? How do we prevent it from happening again? We're just accepting this weird story about eating bats in a market and it happened to be in the same, like not, it all beggars absolute belief that we're still pretending that all of this is not related, that it happened in Wuhan. I, I would like to see under the next Republican House and the next Republican White House, a real serious investigation, including Anthony Fauci, of where this happened, where this happened, where it originated and who is responsible for it. And, you know, given the evidence that we have now, it's not look that question is not looking great for Anthony Fauci. You know, it uh, that bit about them refunding. I mean, again, funding Ego Health Alliance. I got that from Josh Rogan, who posted the document. Yes. He's been so great. He's been so mm-hmm. great on this. He, he's the anomaly over at The Washington Post, willing to push back yeah. on these narratives. And his book was great. He's been on the show many times. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's the one watching them. And he saw that we just approved another grant to Ego Health Alliance. Yep. The ones who the NIH say were lying to them because it was doing gain of function research. Now, the NIH later said, well, you know, it's just they didn't mean to do it. Just kind of was this unexpected result of their weird experiments on bats. So that's why, you know, it's not so bad. But Peter Daszak hasn't been held accountable. This guy went on to 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 lead the WHO group looking into the cause of coronavirus. He was in the <laughs> 60 Minutes piece as like the point person. And thank God, even 60 Minutes was like, what the hell are you doing leading this? (laughs) Anyway, let me shift gears because we only have a couple minutes left and I want to talk to you about um, student debt. Okay, Biden's about to make an announcement within the next hour, we're told now, on debt forgiveness. Again, it's a lie. Uh, The reported plan, according to Politico, and we'll know for sure soon, is up to 20,000 of debt, quote, canceled for Pell Grant recipients, up to 10,000 for most other non-Pell borrowers. All relief would be limited to individuals earning under 125,000 or families earning less than 250,000. And the payment, the repayment of your loans pause is extended, going to be extended through the end of this year. Um, I'm 100% against this. I think it rewards people who didn't do the right thing for whatever reason. Um, those of us who paid our loans, even though it may not have been easy, get screwed. People who made the responsible yeah. decision not to go to college because they realized they might not be able to repay. They get screwed. Now they have to pay back the loans of these people who have these advanced degrees and get to sit on their couch making some trucker pay yeah. for it. Bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. So you know, I, that. I, what really pisses me off here, and I hope the Republicans take the opportunity and, and do what the Democrats do by renaming this bill. It's a wealth transfer bill. Like, you know, when when the uh, education bills passed in Florida, Democrats just called it the don't say gay bill. And that became the name. I think Republicans need to do a similar thing. I, I don't want to hear a single one of them refer to this bill by its actual name. This is a wealth transfer bill. But what really 
makes me angry about it is that it will not fix any of the underlying problems of the student loan process. And in a couple of years, we're going to be right back to this very same place where the loan numbers are going to be astronomical. These people are really underwater on their loans because these degrees are not worth anything. And so we, we keep coming back to this point, you know, we, we do it with housing and now we're doing it with college degrees. We cannot fix this unless we actually get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is we cannot be handing out these loans to just anybody going to college for any reason, period, end of story. Bethany? Yeah, and, and it's, I mean, for Republicans, it's a gift because there's so many people like uh, like me who sacrificed an ideal college experience for a college experience that would incur as little debt as possible. I worked over 40 hours a week at two different jobs to get myself through college. I paid more than the minimum to get my loans paid off responsibly, high interest first, and then the rest of the Pell Grants, uh, you know, later on. It's a slap in the face to me, and it's a slap in the face to most Americans. Only 37% of Americans have four-year degrees, only 13% of Americans have graduate degrees, and over half of the student loan debt is held by people with graduate degrees. So we are wow. we are having the vast majority of Americans who did not go to college and who did not go to graduate mm-hmm. school paying for graduate school loans of their neighbors. And so I've seen this meme going around and Republicans should just keep on beating the drum. Your plumber is playing for your lawyer's law school debt. That is what's happening. And the difference between education debt and any other kind of debt is that, you know, if your house goes under, you lose it. You cannot lose your college degree. You cannot lose your law degree. These are non-transferable. And that's not to say that there are no solutions to this debt crisis. I think that we could talk about interest rate reduction. We could talk about uh, lots of different, you know, debt relief programs that could hold schools responsible for Mm -hmm. handing out the loans instead of students. So many different solutions. And what the Biden administration has chosen to do is hand out money from Americans like us to Americans who irresponsibly took out debt. And they're going to be right back where they started again, like Carol said, in 10 years. And by the way, Carol, uh, $250,000 uh, why should the plumber have to yeah. pay off somebody who's making 250? Why should he have to pay off their debt? Right. Yeah, it, it's really wild to me that this is the path that the Democrats are taking. They're literally saying that their their demographic, their voter base is very rich people who don't pay their loans. Like that's yeah. literally who they're giving right. this uh, money gift to their to their fans, to their base. And I, I don't know. I think that the handing out cash before an election is generally maybe something that shouldn't be allowed. But, you know, the Biden administration has done it in so many different ways at this point that I don't even know when we would cut off that money spigot for them. And it's also just like the idea that, you know, we're, we're in a, a time of inflation crisis and this is happening. Like not everybody, you know, a lot of people are going to see that $10,000 and go buy a new car and go buy, you know, a, a new appliances or whatever. This happens. Um, so a terrible idea. I hope the voters punish them for it. And I hope Republicans really run on this and, and make sure to you know, do the right thing here. And of course, what's going to happen is all these colleges are going to raise their tuitions by $10,000. Of course. I mean, it's like yep. you can take it mm-hmm. to the bank. That's how it works. Bethany and Carol, always a pleasure, ladies. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Megan. Thank, Thank you. you.
And remember, folks, you can find The Megan Kelly Show live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. And the full video show and clips by subscribing to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Megyn Kelly. We're almost at 500,000, which is great because we were at 100,000 this time last year. And uh, we had great growth this year. Thanks to all of you. So help us get, get on over the hump if you would. Go there now and subscribe if you haven't already. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Another Megan, Megan Markle, is back in the news today with the debut of her podcast, Archetypes. In the first episode, she's joined by Serena Williams to discuss the misconceptions of ambition. Is there anything you would like to listen to less? <laughs> we had to have my pal Dan Wooten back on to discuss this. He is the host of GB News's Dan Wooten Tonight and a Daily Mail columnist. And so Dan, the much-awaited $25 million podcast girl with Spotify, this is what we're going to get? A little victim fest on, poor me, I'm a little woman and people don't like my ambition. oh megan it was bad i mean look i'm not gonna lie i thought it was gonna be bad it was really bad and what is most fascinating i think about this hour of victimhood from megan and serena is that it actually just shows that these are two of the most out of touch women in the world yeah Yes. Oh, my gosh. The amount of privilege dripping off of these two women who still want to play the gender card, the race card, sit around and wallow in how they've been unfairly treated. Um, All right. Here's just an example. This is where they're talking about Megan shares her middle school story about how Immaculate Heart taught her this feminist ideology, which has trickled down into nearly every aspect of her education. Uh, Here's her. And by the way, most of the podcast is Meghan Markle talking about herself. Serena's just there as window dressing. Here it is. This message to me and my classmates was clear. Our futures as young women were limitless. Ambition? Well, that was the whole point. So I don't ever remember personally feeling the negative connotation behind the word ambitious until I started dating my now husband. And um, <laughs> apparently ambition is a terrible, terrible thing for a woman, that is, according to some. So since I felt the negativity behind it, it's really hard to unfeel it. I can't unsee it either in the millions of girls and women who make themselves smaller 
so much smaller on a regular basis. Oh my God, Dan. Everything she says is an attempted but failed profundity. <laughs> I, know. I know. I just feel like I'm sitting in a Southern California coffee shop with two rich wives moaning about how terrible their lives are while about to walk back to their 20 million pound matches. Of course, that is what we're dealing with uh, yes. when it comes to Serena and Megan. But you are right. Megan is that friend who always wants to steal the thunder. You know, you have that sort of conversation. You're saying, oh, my goodness, you're not going to believe what happened to me today. Wanting to have a little bit of empathy, a little bit of sympathy. And Meghan Markle says, oh, my goodness, it happened to me, but it was much worse. And I dealt with it much better, Serena. There were literally moments, Megan, when Serena manages to utter about five words out of her mouth before Megan steps in. And she also has this very bizarre thing, given she is a princess and you'd imagine most of the world knows by now that she's pretty damn famous, just to prove to everyone how good friends she is with Serena Williams. This is my mm. dear friend. She told me she was evolving uh, out of tennis because, of course, she didn't retire, did she, Megan, even though that is exactly what she did do. And so the whole nearly hour-long conversation is about as far removed, I think, from day-to-day -day life for most people in the world at the moment, because let's be honest, things are pretty tough around the world. And uh, these are two of the most privileged people in the world showing off their victimhood and talking a whole load of Southern Californian mumbo-jumbo. And remember, Spotify, which has waited nearly two years for this podcast, has paid millions and millions of dollars for the privilege. What a joke. Meanwhile, what is she talking about her ambition? A, I see no evidence of her ambition other than to marry well and become a princess. B, um, I, I, I think she's misunderstanding our true sentiments uh, her are recoiling in response to her wokeness while she sits in a palace for something else, for some sort of feminist complaint. Right. It's like uh, the only ambition I've seen from Meghan Markle is to marry a prince, which hashtag nailed it. OK, you got it, girl. People haven't been like, she's so ambitious. She's a climber. We all know that. That's clear. No one's ripping on her like, oh, she wants she wants you know, to become a, a world leader and we object to a woman wanting this stuff, right? Like that's not happening. I don't know wh wh where this complaint comes from on her behalf. No, indeed. And actually, Megan, when you actually look at the history of Ms. Markle, it's not really about professional ambition. It's about financial ambition and it is about ambition on the social pecking order. Now, I actually make no judgment of that but you know, I was one of the reporters who broke a lot of stories around Meghan, including Megxit, when her and Harry uh, decided to quit the royal family. So I know a lot about this woman. I know about her background. And what you've got to remember, because this is really still a very untold part of her story, before she met Prince Harry and she was an actress in this drama suit, so yeah, she was doing well, but she wasn't where she wanted to be. She wasn't on the A-list. 
she actually decided, she set out to find a British man. She had decided that she could become much more famous if she set herself up with a celebrity in the UK. And actually, the celebrities who she was chasing down before she met Prince Harry are probably folk you haven't even heard of, Megan. It was a guy called Matt Cardle, uh, who won the talent show The X Factor over here. It was a lovely guy called Max George, who's a member of the boy band The Wanted. And it was also a footballer called Ashley Cole. And she pursued all three of these men who, in their own various ways, uh, rejected her advances. And so she just happened to hit the jackpot when it came to Prince Harry. Now, look, that's fine. She was a divorcee. She, she came to the UK. She wanted to meet a famous bloke. Absolutely fine. But is that really ambition? I don't right. know. And I think it was a complete rewriting of history to say the reason that the British public turned against Meghan Markle was because of her ambition. It was because of the callous and manipulating way that she treated the Queen and trashed the royal family and claimed that there was a whole load of racists through the country who didn't accept her as a princess, which is just point blank untrue. Right. That's exactly right. Like, I don't even know what she's talking about. We've read a lot of the criticism of Meghan Markle and participated in some of it. It's never been about her ambition. Yes, it's absurd if she thinks she's going to be president of the United States. But I'm not criticizing her ambition if, if in my belief that that's not going to happen. I'm uh, criticizing her lack of experience and intelligence. <laughs> she doesn't seem particularly gifted in either department, and she should have no role anywhere near the Oval Office unless she's willing to go out and work for it. She, she actually needs to get a lot better experienced and better informed based on what she and her husband have said about things like our First Amendment and so on. So they've got some work to do. Um, so she, as you point out, the, the two, you know, incredibly privileged women decided to take this opportunity, which they knew everybody would be listening to, to complain about their lives <laughs> and how hard they've had it and, you know, how bad it's been for Serena on the court. I mean, good God, could there have been any more Serena Williams covers on every magazine, not to mention Megan? Like, could you please? So here they are talking about the U.S. Open um, and Serena talking about her bad experiences in New York. The, the U.S. Open is in uh, New York City in reference to this to the U.S. Open. And they discuss her 2004 U.S. Open quarterfinals match. Listen. At the Open, it's been, you know, it's been hard. And I know a lot of people have seen it. And it's just, what is it? But hold luck? on a second. I don't know. Unless but, you want. Uh, Can I jump in there? Because there are certain things that I know you won't want to say about your experience. But I lived through a lot of that with you. Yeah, but there are some experience I didn't deserve at all. Oh, my gosh. Of course. You were treated completely unfairly. It, has, it just wasn't one thing. I'm telling you, the reason that I have trauma from it is because it's been five things or more. I know. Um, the first being the reason Hawkeye like became like a thing was because they were calling my balls out and they weren't even close to the line. Okay. So I, what is Serena Williams worth? A billion dollars? She, she made 45 million in 2021 alone. Okay. So she's probably worth a billion dollars, her endorsements and so on. And she's upset because they called some balls out when they weren't, which by the way, she complained about at the time and they later apologized. What this has to do with her gender, I don't know. This happens to every professional tennis player. Bad calls are made in sports all the time. I, I don't, I, what is the evidence that had to do with the fact that she was a woman? Right. But for her to sit here, like she has trauma because of her experience in U.S. tennis. She's literally one of the most famous women and richest women in the world because of her experience there. How on earth do we get to the point where this princess and this princess of tennis 
are sitting there asking us to feel sorry for them. I agree, Megan, but I thought that conversation was actually so telling. It was a window into the world of why these two women so often misread the public mood. Because what are they doing there? They are embracing each other's victimhood. It is the commoditization of victimhood. It is the commercialization of victimhood. Because, of course, if you criticize Meghan Markle or you criticize Serena Williams or you disagree with something that they've done, it's nothing to do with the decision that they've made and their heads, and they do talk about this in another part of the podcast, it's to do with the fact they are women and they are black women. And I thought it was just so telling that there was no potential to say, actually, did I did I have to be criticized? Had I done something wrong? And the moment that Serena used the word trauma, doesn't she? Because, you know, she views herself as some sort of tin pot psychoanalyst. That's what Megan yes. thinks she is with her mates. And immediately she ran in and embraced that idea of trauma because Megan believes that she was traumatized by the British royal family, by the British public, by the media. It's always someone else's fault. And again, I would just say it shows that they have no idea about how tough life actually is outside of their privileged bubble in Montecito. She, Serena's complaining that they accused her at one point of having a meltdown on the court. And she believes they never said that kind of thing about her male competitors. Um, I don't know what they I have not searched all of the reporting on John McEnroe and others. But I can tell you, Serena Williams, she did have some meltdowns. <laughs> she did. I, I've seen them myself. My husband's a huge tennis fan and I get sort of brought along for the ride. Well, here's one video of her smashing her, her racket. But this kind of stuff will get you criticized no matter what kind of player you are. Here, watch. Dave Stevens. So there she is. There she is, smashing, smashing, and then throwing. And Dan, I'm sorry, but who could forget the time she reamed out that line judge, the little female line judge, got in her face, screamed at her, and the little lady ran down. She ran down to the, you know, the the guy who sits in the middle of the court to sort of report to him. He seemed to be the boss. And then ran back, back and forth. We have that queued up, too. Next shot's not Serena is serving. I think she gets called a football. Match point. She's yelling to her. Yelling well, at the line. Be careful here. She's already had a warning for racket abuse. Well, here we go. Little judge and this, this could be trouble. Here she goes back for a second go at her. Well, I think this is wow. really indicative of Serena's night, isn't it? And it went it went downhill from there. I mean, she was completely nasty. So, like, could you just spare me? Just spare me. She was fined ten thousand dollars for that. And then there was the time when she was accused of cheating with her coach, who was in the stand. He was giving her hand signals, which you're not allowed to do. She denied it. She yelled. She said she she played the race card and the woman card when they said you cheated. And then the coach was like, "I did it." I'm guilty. We did it. Sorry. But she got caught. I was sick and tired of these privileged women trying to play these cards all the time when, yes, I understand. I'm not saying Serena 
had an emotional moment that nobody's ever had. I'm just saying when it happens, own it and stop acting like it was because of what's between your legs or what's your melanin. But Megan, there's actually something very sinister at play with this, because if you listen to the podcast, it becomes clear that both Serena and Megan believe that they should be immune from criticism. And actually, there's a point when they talk about Serena's recent retirement from the, from the sport. And let's be clear, right? She's retired. By the definition of the English language, following the US Open, she is retiring. And Megan praises her and says how absolutely brilliant it is that she refused to use that word. And instead, she says she's evolved away from the sport in a big magazine <laughs> shoot with Vogue magazine organized by their mutual friend, Anna Wintour. And, and they are actually wanting to deny the reality of the meaning of the word retirement. And this is what it's about. These privileged folk now believe they don't need the media to set their agenda. They think they are powerful enough to use social media, to use uh, willing victims like Spotify and Netflix, who I think are paying far too much money for really crap content, to be able to present to the world a fairy tale, which doesn't take into account the good parts of their lives and the bad parts of their lives. And Megan, we all have them right. I mean, both of us, we're criticised for lots of things we do. And I think we know that because of our job, we deserve some of that. We deserve to be picked apart at Part times. Of the game. And that's the difference with Serena and Megan. They believe they should not be criticised simply because of their sex, simply because of their colour of the skin. I actually think it's so backward and it sends uh, such a bad message to young black women, because what it's saying actually is that we're different. We should be treated differently because of our innate characteristics, which goes completely against the Martin Luther King Jr. approach. It goes completely against the John Lennon approach. So I actually think this is part of a bigger regression in society. But what makes me laugh is when it comes to Meghan Markle, right? It's simply because she's quite a bad person in lots of ways. We know that she bullied staff members behind the scenes of the royal family. We know that she made Kate, the Duchess of Cambridge, cry. And the entire narrative of this exhaustingly sycophantic podcast is for Meghan to say to her fans, don't believe it. And if they say it, they're only saying it because I'm black and they're only mm. saying it because I'm a woman. Mm hmm. And the attempt at like empathizing and putting herself into the story, Meghan Markle, as Serena talks about. I mean, I'll give this to Serena. She actually has accomplished amazing things in her life, things that dwarf anything I could hope to ever do. Um, there's no question about that. Meghan Markle's done nothing. She, she married a rich guy who's very famous and part of the royal family. She's done literally yeah, nothing other than acting B. I actually completely agree with you there, Meghan. I came away from the podcast actually thinking Serena was someone who could take criticism, who was a bit more in touch with the real world. Uh, Megan, on the other hand, no, cloud cookie land. Yeah. And and so what does she try to do? She's like, it's like, you know, when you try to put a military decoration on that you didn't earn, Megan's doing like, instead of stolen honor, like stolen victimhood, um, where she she's interjecting, I lived through a lot of that with you. Did you really? You, didn't, you haven't known each other for like, who are you kidding? Come on. And then 
oh my God, of course you were treated completely unfairly. Like she knows anything. She knows nothing. Why do we listen to this person? You know, I mean, uh, honestly, like other than being Howie Mandel's backup suitcase girl, she really hasn't accomplished much, much in her life except for marrying well. And even that is very subject to debate. Um, so she does inject a story about little Archie, her uh, oh. son with Prince Harry into this into this podcast. And now this is making a bunch of news because you would think that little Archie was basically in the towering inferno the way <laughs> the way this story goes down. Already, there's been a lot of pushback on um, her talking about their trip to South Africa and what allegedly happened with their baby. Um, we'll get to this in one second. We're just getting it right. OK, we got it. Here it is. Soundbite 23. The moment we landed, we had to drop him off at this housing unit that they had had us staying in. He was going to get ready to go down for his nap. We immediately went to an official engagement in this township called Nianga. And there was this moment where I'm standing on a tree stump and I'm giving this speech to women and girls. And we finish the engagement. We get in the car and they say, there's been a fire at the residence. What? There's been a fire in the baby's room. What? our amazing nanny, Lauren, who we'd had all the way until um, in Canada here. Lauren, in floods of tears, she was supposed to put Archie down for his nap. And she just said, you know what? Let me just go and get a snack downstairs. And she was, was Lauren's from Zimbabwe. And we loved that she would always tie him on her, her back with a mud cloth. And her instinct was like, let me just bring him with me before I put him down. In that amount of time that she went downstairs, oh my God. Oh my the heater gosh. in the nursery caught on fire. There was no smoke detector. Someone happened to just smell smoke down the hallway, went in, fire extinguished. He was supposed to be sleeping in there. Everyone's in tears. Everyone's shaken. And what did we have to do? Mm. Go out and do another official engagement. I said, this doesn't make any sense. Can you just... Uh, why did you not bring him? I was like, can you just tell people what happened? And so much, I think, optically, the focus ends up being on how it looks instead of how it feels. And part of the humanizing and the breaking through of these labels and these archetypes and these boxes that we're put into is having some understanding on the human moments behind the scenes that people might not have any awareness of oh and to give each other a break because we did. We had to leave our baby. Oh my God, Dan, I can't. The child wasn't even in the room. <laughs> it wasn't even in the room. <laughs> What's happening? I mean, this actually made me so angry on so many levels, Megan, because firstly, the idea uh, that Markle and Harry are innocent victims who are going to be pushed around and do anything they don't want to do is baloney, complete baloney. I knew all of the people who were working for Harry and Meghan at that point. And believe me, if Harry and Meghan didn't want to do something, they didn't do it. There were so many ways you can get around a situation like that. Megan could have come down with a stomach bug and would have been allowed to stay at home. So this idea that the evil royal family forced her to go and do something she didn't want to do in a time of trauma, quote unquote trauma, rush. But let's get to the actual nub of the argument, right? Maybe little Archie had a near miss, but he wasn't in that room. The nanny was with him at all times. So even if a fire had broken out in that room, the nanny would have immediately removed him from the room. The reality is Archie was not at serious risk. None of the journalists who were on the tour heard a thing about 
an apparent fire where Harry and Meghan were staying. And again, there are hundreds of journalists on that tour. It's all very curious, uh, especially given we know uh, Markle's track record in terms of telling little porcupines in interviews. But all of that aside, Meghan, again, to me, this is about the delusion of Ms. Markle, the idea that she should have a God-given right not to go to work after something terrible nearly happens. Well, that's not a right that you have if you work at a supermarket checkout, if you're a receptionist at a doctor's, if you're a brain surgeon, it doesn't matter what you do. You have a responsibility to wider society to get out there and work whenever you possibly can. But this idea that Megan thinks she shouldn't have had to do that and let lots of people down in South Africa, who, by the way, uh, the people who she was seeing on that tour were in the most appalling conditions. I mean, in the most uh, terrible poverty, just shows you what Megan is in this for. She's not in it for anyone else. She is in it for herself. She only ever thinks about herself. And we know that given we've seen the way she treats her blood relatives. I love how she thinks if she just exposes herself to us, we're going to change our opinion about her. The problem is we haven't had the behind the scenes talks the way that she's delivering here. And that's why we don't love her. No, that's not it. We've seen enough to have made our judgment. And we don't really care that your perfectly healthy baby, who was never in any trouble, <laughs> um, had something that may or may not have happened. Because as you point out, that would have been a huge scoop for one of these reporters to find out that the baby Archie was nearly you know, in a fire. Okay. That would have been a huge news story. Weird how it never broke. Um, this and, and what she's really to told us is that, as you point out, she's weak, she's pathetic, and she doesn't like to work hard. I'm going to guess, well, how old is the queen now? 96? Mm, yeah, 97 okay. now. I'm going to guess in those 96 years, and what, she was 25 or whatever, she took the throne, 75, which had her year, whatever it was, the jubilee. Um, I'm going to guess in those 70, 75 years, she had a couple of bad things happen to her. There, there have been some world wars. She's lost all of her family members that she grew up with. She always went, she's famous for doing her duty. Stiff upper, upper lip, no matter what is, ails her, she puts herself out there unless she absolutely physically is incapable of doing it. What, can you imagine her whining like this over an injury that never occurred, over something that never even happened? Never, never. Even after the death of her husband, Megan, the darkest moment in her life, the Queen was determined to return to her public engagements because she knows her job is not about her. It's about the wider public. And that's, of course, why Meghan was never going to like it in the royal family, because it was all about a greater cause uh, than uh, increasing the brand awareness of a certain Meghan Markle. But come on, let's just think for a moment as well. We're not talking about hard labour. We're not talking about someone going to spend 12 hours behind the fry vat at McDonald's. She was going in a chauffeured limousine to spend a very short amount of time around members of the South African public, who she claims that she cares so much about, before being driven back in a chauffeur-driven limousine to another very expensive new accommodation where she would have her every wish and whim dealt with 
buy all of her staff naked, you know, royal servants, essentially, who are there to serve her. So I'm sorry if I can't feel a scintilla of sympathy. Yeah, it's not like it actually happened. I understand there were a few minutes of high stress when somebody told you there was a fire in the baby's room. Get it. Got it. Validated. But then you soon found out there he was never in danger. He wasn't in the room. He's perfectly fine. Nothing happened. That's under her version. If we're giving her every benefit of the doubt. And for that, she shouldn't have to do her next obligation. It's so typical, Dan, because what she wants is all the benefits of royal life without any of the downsides. Yeah, but Serena Williams actually says to her, I couldn't have gone to that engagement without taking my child. And by the way, nothing was stopping Harry and Meghan taking Archie with them to that engagement. This Mm -hmm. idea that they were controlled within the royal family is just a delusion. It is a fantasy, and it is a fantasy that has been developed to support a narrative about why they were forced to Megxit. It's just like uh, Meghan, when Markle claimed to Oprah that she wasn't allowed to seek counselling. That's not true. You know, the, the staff working for Meghan within the royal family bent over backwards to make her happy. Unfortunately, they soon realised nothing was going to make her happy. She mm. didn't want it to work. As, as Harry's now realising, I'm sure too. All right. Dan's got a new column up right now at the Daily Mail talking about how Harry, not Harry, William, uh, the heir is doing something very, very different than Prince Charles did with him. This is we come upon the anniversary. What is it? The 25th of the is it the 25th anniversary of Diana's death? 25th. Unbelievable. And that's one of those things you can remember where you were when it happened. We'll pick it up there with Dan Wooden right after this quick break. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. All right, Dan. So Prince William and his wife, uh, Princess Kate, are making a decision on how to raise their children and where to live. That caught a lot of people by surprise. What are they doing and why does it matter? Well, I think it matters because it's the 25th anniversary of Princess Diana's death next week. And both Prince Harry and Prince William, in their own ways, and yes, they are very contrasting ways, are determined to honour their mother's legacy when it comes to the raising of their children. Of course, Prince William has a future king to raise. And what he's decided to do is move the family out of London. Uh, They're going to live for the first time without any staff, without a nanny. Uh, Sure, it's a mansion. I mean, the royals like to call these mansions cottages, but it's a four-bedroom cottage just down the road from the Queen within the grounds of Windsor Castle. But what it allows Prince William to do is take the children to school and pick the children up from school. And again, some people would say that's pretty normal. Uh, Some dads can do it, some can't, depending on what work they do. 
But with Prince William, there is a much deeper reason behind it, which I've been investigating for the Mail Online, DailyMail.com, uh, with lots of friends of William. And what he's very clear about is for him, this is an overarching mission to be a better dad than his own father, Prince Charles. This is awkward, Meghan. I mean, Charles is the next in line to the throne. He's going to be king. And Prince William has a relatively good relationship with him these days. But, and it is a big but, he isn't happy with the way that Prince Charles prioritised his duty over fatherhood in the years after Princess Diana's death. He feels like Prince Charles was an absent dad. He wasn't there for the big moments in his life. He wasn't there to pick him up from school. So Prince William is making a really interesting decision to prioritise family life at a time when he's actually been expected to pick up far more royal duties because the Queen, God bless her, and you know Meghan, and lots of people say I'm delusional, but I think we've got her for another couple of decades. We need her for a couple of more decades because the idea of <laughs> Prince Charles on the throne and as king uh, gives me shudders, really, if I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, but the Queen isn't in great health. She's struggling. It's not a surprise given her age, but there is an increasing growing feeling within the royal family that transition is just around the corner. Of course, it's unspoken, but we didn't see her when she went to her summer home in Scotland, Balmoral, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And that's unprecedented. We haven't seen her for a number of weeks. Uh, mm. There are lots of rumours about the state of her health. Out of respect for the Queen, I'm not going to talk about the details of what I know. I, I don't think that's fair. And she is very clear and the people around her are very clear that her health should not be speculated on. But the point is transition in the royal family is close. It's going to be a seismic moment. And by setting himself up at Windsor, uh, Prince William is saying, I'm going to put family first, but I'm also going to be there for the Queen, uh, probably in her final years, which I think is sweet. Because remember, Prince Harry and Meghan were meant to be there. Uh, and they packed their bags to California. Yeah, they peaced out because Megan wanted to live in a mansion in Montecito. And so William and Kate moved 10 minutes walking distance from where the queen is living in, you know, what is the twilight, at least of her life. So Prince Charles will take over when the queen passes. And he how old is he now? Oh, my goodness. He's over 70 now. So wow. he's helped. This is the reason that he's focused so much on living a clean and healthy life, because he knew he had to stay healthy in order to take the throne. But that's why the anniversary of Diana's death is incredibly awkward for Prince Charles, Meghan. There is a major bombshell new TV series being broadcast over here at the moment, and it investigates all of the conspiracy theories around Diana's death, which you might be aware, have started to explode on the social media site for young people, TikTok, you know, because lots of people, uh, lots of these young kids on TikTok didn't know the story of Princess Diana. So there's now a big industry around conspiracy theories about Princess Diana's death on TikTok. And of course, a lot of folk are, are, are looking at uh, what happened 
back in the 90s and thinking, goodness me, this doesn't look good for Prince Charles, because of course, there was the famous note, the infamous note, the notorious note written by Princess Diana, uh, revealed to the world by her personal assistant, Paul Burrell, where she says, I think my husband's going to kill me in a car accident, tamper with the brakes. Mm. So it's bad timing for Prince Charles. Of course, I do have to stress uh, there was the French inquiry into the car accident. There was then the major British inquest too. Uh, Lord Christopher Stevens, who was behind that, he's going to be appearing on my GB News show tomorrow night because he wants to make clear we interviewed Prince Charles. There was no evidence of any funny business whatsoever. Princess Diana died because of a drunken driver and the fact that she wasn't wearing a seatbelt. But the reality doesn't really matter so much, Megan, because with Prince Charles, it's about perception. And he's got a really big perception problem. A lot of young people only know him from the way that he's portrayed on the Netflix TV series, The Crown, uh, where he looks like uh, a philandering, nasty guy who treated mm. 19-year-old virgin Princess Diana like a piece of dirt on his shoe while he pursued a relationship with a woman who he really loved, Camilla Parker Bowles, now his wife. Now you've got all of these TikTok videos going viral suggesting that maybe he had something to do with uh, Princess Diana's death. You know, it, this is not a good time, put it this way, for, for the anniversary of, of Diana's death. And then you've got uh, the, the big spectre hanging over Prince Charles of what is Harry going to reveal in his autobiography. And that is something, let me tell you, Megan, that has kept... Prince Charles up at night for the past year. It has uh, been an emotional wrench for him, even as he deals with the grief, uh, which has been significant after the death of his father, Prince Philip. And of course, we don't know what Harry's going to say, and the royal family don't know what Harry's going to say. Prince Harry has refused to provide either his father or his brother advanced copies of oh. his autobiography. There are suspicions uh, that Prince Harry might lean into the circumstances surrounding his mother's death. We don't know what he'll say. There are suspicions that he might be critical of Prince Charles as a father. And there are also suspicions that he might be incredibly negative about Camilla, who, of course, Diana felt ruined her life. So it's really difficult times for Prince Charles. Obviously, a lot of people don't have any sympathy and think he brought all of this on himself. But at the end of the day, he is going to be king. He has to try and change his public position, uh, his public perception. He's being buffeted by all of these scandals from the past that he just can't escape. Mm. When does the uh, biography come out of Prince Harry, by Prince Harry? We don't know. It could come at any time. And it, is, it, it, it has been checked by the lawyers now. It is ready for release. If you think about the book market, and if you were a betting man, you probably would think it would be released in time for Christmas <laughs> because they want to yep. make lots of money on this. Yep. Uh, Penguin Random House, the, the, the publisher, and they've spent millions and millions of dollars in order to secure Prince Harry's autobiography. But it's going to come this year. And that has caused great consternation within the royal family because, again, senior members of the family believe that Prince Harry 
should not be putting the queen through this in her twilight years. Right, right, exactly. Like wait at least until the queen dies and not add one more bit of stress onto her. It is pretty selfish, especially since we know they're awash in cash thanks to Spotify. And I mean, they're getting sort of bit by bit. Their deal with Netflix is falling apart, but they've got plenty of cash and they don't need to publish this book right now. They don't need the money. So, yeah, what's the point? Honestly, Megan, it is revenge, pure and simple. And this is what the supporters of Prince Harry and Meghan don't seem to realize. Everything they now set out to do is to try and bring down the royal family. I find it completely bizarre. I find it incredibly distasteful. It doesn't surprise me, given I know the way that Meghan has thrown her dad and her sister and her brother under the bus. But given the Queen has given so much to the country and so much to the world, I think it speaks volumes of the type of person Harry has become. Well, and and what? Okay, so they want to trash the royal family. We saw that in the Oprah uh, interview. Yeah. We we see that even here. She's complaining. I had to go do another duty when I was on my tour. Um, so, but what? What connection do they still have with the royal family? Like, how are they still trying to exploit his royal roots and her royal connection? Right. She's still using that title, isn't she? Duchess. So, like, how do they still hold on to the royals uh, while they're continuing to bash them? This is the thing that's so bizarre. As their time away from Britain has grown longer, their need to have proximity to the royal family has only increased. So, yes, as you say, at the end of the podcast, uh, in the credits, by, by the way, Megan, 28 people worked on that uh, terrible podcast. Oh, my God. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was oh. like, 28 people have been working on that for two years? And that, that's what we that's got. Impossible. But anyway, that's the side. Uh, Megan referred to herself, or, or the person who was reading out her name, referred to her as the Duchess of Sussex, not Meghan Markle. She's Meghan the Duchess of Sussex. Of course, they are coming to the UK uh, next month for charity engagements. But there is a real suspicion from the people who I speak to in the royal family, Megan, that in fact, they are coming to the UK to film for keeping up with the Markles. You know, this mm-hmm. is the big Netflix reality show that they promised they would never, they would never do until Netflix realised that a whole load of boring, woke content from Harry and Meghan ain't going to buy them any new subscribers. Netflix is losing out at the moment in the streaming wars because it went far too far down the woke rabbit hole. So they have demanded some juicy content. And how do Harry and Meghan get juicy content? Nothing's going on at their Montecito mansion where Serena Williams comes around and they moan about how bad their lives are. So that's why Harry and Meghan have to keep making these trips to the UK where the, where they don't want to be. So uh, there is a real dichotomy going on here. It's difficult. But mark my words, Harry and Meghan are like uh, the kamikaze royals. They are prepared uh, to bring down the institution uh, because they can't be a part of it anymore. They've made a decision not to be part of it anymore. And I think that's a terrible thing that they're doing. I think one day when the marriage is over, and Megan, I've always said it, it will last for 10 years. It will last for 10 years. But there's no way that in the long term, 
Harry is going to allow Ms. Markle to take him away from his friends and his family. Because we know, we, 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 we've all seen in our own lives when a wife tries to dominate a husband like that. It doesn't work out no. in the long run. So there's no. going to be a time in his life, I believe, when Prince Harry looks back at the damage he has wrought on the royal family, on the difficulty he has posed to the Queen in her twilight years, and he will feel ashamed, and he should feel ashamed. I just have to remind everyone, they went ahead with that Oprah Winfrey interview, which I now just describe as a bonanza of lies, because that's what it was. There were very limited facts in that interview. We now know that there is proof of that. They went ahead with that interview knowing that Prince Philip, Harry's grandfather, who had devoted his life to service, was dying in hospital. How sick is that? Yeah, and didn't even have the decency to exempt him or the queen from their sweeping claims of racism. They wouldn't even say, you know, we don't want to get into who it is, but we'll tell you it wasn't the queen or the dying Prince uh, Philip. They didn't have that decency inside of them. And meanwhile, as you talk about this, like the kamikaze thing, it makes me think my team pulled this. It was from the teaser for her podcast. And it just it, it just underscores how wrong she is about what her PR problems are. Listen to this tease. People should expect the real me in this and probably the me that they've never gotten to know, certainly not in the past few years, um, where everything is through the lens of the media as opposed to, hey, it's me. I'm just excited to be myself and talk and be unfiltered. And yeah, it's fun. Oh, my God. It's as if we have no cognizance, no memory whatsoever of what she's actually done and said and how she's behaved to date. Exactly. We have made our decisions on Megan based on her behavior. No one felt like this, Megan, when, when she married into the royal family. No, one. I remember back to that day, the, the, the entire country stopped. I mean, actually, Megan, I was with you the, the day before. Uh, remember on yeah. the roof of that hotel? Uh, That's right. In Windsor. And you know what it was like. The, the spirit Beloved. in Britain was absolutely one of celebration. Everyone thought this was great, that the royal family was modifying, thought it was really exciting that there was going to be a mixed race princess. It all changed when Meghan behaved badly. And this is the point she keeps thinking that she's going to be able to rewrite history, erase the way that she acted. But we know, we know. And actually, listening to that podcast, I just thought, you're really not doing anything to change my perception. What mm -hmm. you're doing is doubling down on why we don't like you and why right. we've decided that you're a bad thing for the royal family. Right. And that you are not to be trusted because you are not a truth teller. Um, I mean, it reminds me of the Hillary Clinton thing where she talked about how she she allegedly almost got shot on the on the runway. And she was basically like, you know, the the gun smoke was licking my face as I ran for safety. And then our Cheryl Atkinson reporter here who was there was like, I was there. None of that happened. <laughs> you were 100 percent fine. It's like, OK, so your child was never in danger, but you want all the sympathy as though he actually had been in the room and some fire breathing rescue had to happen. And so you were so distraught you couldn't possibly. It's just this par for the course. Dan, it's always I mean, fascinating she, listening she, to you talk about the royal family. So low. No, yeah, did, keep going. And I'll just say one final thing, man. She, she, th there is no debt so low that Meghan will not stoop. 
Because remember, she knows there are certain unchallengeables in this current society. And the big one is mental health. And if you're feeling suicidal. And, and so she is prepared to say whatever it takes to garner sympathy. The problem is we don't believe her. We mm. think she's a liar. And in fact, we now know she's a liar. So I expect more lies throughout this podcast. She's sitting down with Mariah Carey next week. And I just thought, my goodness, pretty impressive that she's managed to find the one person in the world who probably is a bigger diva than her. But at least <laughs> Mariah has a hell of a lot of talent. That's exactly right. But I'm sure Miss Markle will try to steal her thunder, too. That also happened to me. Oh, you were treating you so terribly. I live that with you. What do you mean? Like from your couch in California while you grew up and she actually did stuff? Dan, a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Tomorrow, our pal Andrew Claven is back by popular demand. And we'll dig much deeper into Biden's debt forgiveness plans, which are about to get announced. If you have a question for me in advance of tomorrow's show, you can email it to us now at questions at devilmaycaremedia.com. Questions, plural, at devilmaycaremedia.com. Meantime, download the show on Apple, Pandora, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also go to youtube.com slash Megan Kelly. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.